We've had some really good weekends over the past several weeks, and now we're going to hit the bottom of the barrel as we talk about marriage. Ooh, it's going to get hot in here today. So if you're not, if you're at men's or if you're at, a, if at odds, you need to turn right now to your spouse and say, baby, God's not done with me yet. You better hurry up and do it now. The next four weeks are going to get tough. <clears throat> See, I know that because I, my hiney's been chewed on as I've, as I've prepared for this. And so uh, this isn't, I ain't speaking nothing to you guys that I hadn't already had to take in and absorb and ask forgiveness for. And so, uh, but it's going to be a, a good time. I'm reminded of the story of the little girl who, who goes to the, to the orchestra and she, she hears, the, she hears the, the instruments play and she looks at her mom and she says, Mom, little girl, and she says, Mom, I want to play that instrument right there. And she said, Honey, that's a violin. That's expensive. And she said, Do you know how expensive it is to buy a violin? And she says, But Mom, I want a violin. I want to be able to play that instrument. And she said, Well, honey, listen, your dad and I will commit uh, financially to buy that for you and to, and to provide some lessons for you if you'll practice. She said, but honey, there's going to be some times in that, in that journey that you're not going to want to practice. And she said, you're going to have to stick to it. There's going to be some times that you're going to look at it and you're going to go, I don't want it right now. And she said, but, but honey, listen, if you're willing to make the commitment and if you're willing to stick to it, your dad and I will make the financial commitment. You understand what I'm saying? That we'll purchase it and we'll, go, we'll stick ourselves out on a limb because we want you to have what you want. Do you understand, honey? And she says, yeah, Mom, it sounds awful, an awful lot like a marriage. <laughs> Anybody ever bought something for your spouse because you, you, you wanted to try to keep amends in the house? Yeah. Woo, mercy. Sometimes you want to run. You ever been there, Fred, where you just want to turn tail and run the opposite direction? Because it got tough? Yeah, we all have been there at some point in time. And if you haven't been there, you're probably lying to me today. Because <clears throat> you don't remember this. I've talked to many of your spouses that have already given me the insight on where you are. I get the phone calls late at night. Meredith answers the phone and she, we do all this stuff. No, but seriously, we are going to have a great time over the next several weeks. There is nothing intended but to help encourage us in our marriage relationship because every one of us need to be encouraged in our marriage relationship because you're going to go through tough times, right? Anybody ever not gone through a tough time? I don't see any hands. Ricky? They're telling the truth? Well, that's great. Now, we are going to focus on that, and we're going to, we're going to be looking at, at four couples in the Old Testament over the next four weeks. Um, as a part of those four weeks, we are providing some opportunities through Couples of Promise, and what we're going to be doing is every week we're going to be giving away something special because we want you to know that we believe that spending time together as a couple is very important. And so we've partnered up with Red Lobster uh, for this next week, or these, for these next four weeks, and we're going to be providing some free meals out. In addition, today is a special day because the college and career group is going to be providing free babysitting. So at the end of the day, when we're done, there's going to be a name drawn or a ticket drawn. Right, Tom? Right. So somebody's going to get something special. Right, Tom? Amen. That's right. Tom and Sandy are going to accompany you, and they're going to provide marriage mentoring while you're out on your date. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank the Lord for Tom and Sandy. <laughs> Not just for those times that we go through difficulty, but just for those times to, that we need a little tweak. Sometimes we need a little tweak, don't we? We need a little encouragement. And they're always there um, 
thank you guys for making marriage special here at Heritage. Thank you for the numbers of hours that many people here don't even have a clue that you invest in the lives of couples and talking and mentoring and helping, encouraging them in their relationship. Marriage is important to us. Why would marriage be important to us as a church, as a body of believers? It's a commitment. What else? Jesus the bride. What else? Anything else? Foundation. The greatest opportunity we have to, to leave a legacy of faith is through us as parents acting out our relationship with God before our children. I loved it when Steve said the other day, because I'm there, we have, if you have children, you end up with these bunch of little Holy Spirits running around your house correcting you all the time. <laughs> I want you to turn to the book of Genesis, and we're going to start there. We're not going to start with Adam and Eve, but we're going to start with a story of a young man who looks into the eyes of a young lady and says, I have to have you. He says, I want you. I've just got to have you. And so it begins with one man's feelings for a woman, but over the period of time, it takes an awful lot of turns and twists. This man's name is Jacob. You can look at Genesis chapter 29 if you want to fumble through there. His name meant deceiver. He is on his way to Padan Aram, which he was sent there by his, his mother and father, Isaac and Rebekah. Um, they knew that he had deceived his brother. He had deceived his father. And his dad said, listen, you need to go there because we know that your brother is getting ready to kill you. He does not like you very much at all. And this is where you need to go. You need to go to this area and you need to see a man by the name of Laban who was Rebekah's brother. Um, and it was there that Isaac said that you will find your wife. And as he arrives, he's standing off out by the community well, and they're standing out by the well. Up walks this wonderful, beautiful young lady by the name of Rachel, who just happens to be Laban's daughter, who would have been his cousin. Now, Oxford, this is a normal thing around here, right? <laughs> so this really doesn't make it a big deal for us. <laughs> just joking, just just joking. Listen, you have to understand, I grew up in Oxford. Not in Oxford, but in a place just like it. Uh, but the Bible says that she was something else and he fell for her. And I could be reading an awful lot into this story, but this is what I want to say today. Here is Jacob maybe thinking, if I can just have her, if I can just marry her, she will add meaning to my life. I can forget about my past troubles and I can move on. And Jacob maybe sees Rachel and says, she will fill the void that I have in my life. How many times have you ever been in a situation like that? Where you said, if I can just, then I will. You've been in a situation. If I can just have, then, then things will be a little bit better. There's an emptiness, there's a void. And the thought was, if I can just have, everything will be okay. It might be the little girl that says, if I can just have a boyfriend, everybody has a boyfriend. If I can just have a boyfriend, teenagers, everything will be okay. Or it might be the boy that says, if I can just have a girl, everything will be okay. Or to make it a little bit more relevant for us today, if a middle-aged man that's married that says, you know, if I can just have a younger wife, everything will be okay. <laughs> Think about that. We laugh. If I can just have a, a brand new sports car, everything will be okay. Then I will feel complete and then I'll feel loved. So it's very likely that some of these thoughts are going on in Jacob's life. And so I want to turn to Genesis. I'd like to ask you to turn to Genesis chapter 29 today. And we're going to take a look at this sort of weird story 
And we're going to add some things in here that I think are very helpful for us in the marriage relationship because so many times it's easy for us to walk into the marriage relationship with the wrong perspective, with the wrong perspective. So turn to Genesis chapter 29 and let's read there starting at verse 16. Now Laban, who was his uncle, now Laban had two daughters and their oldest daughter was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Verse 17 says, there was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. But Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Now, I don't know if you sort of think of this like I do, but uh, this is, I think, what he was saying, that Leah would not be found on the, on the cover of Today magazine. All right, are you with me? I don't think that she would have been found as a, as a model, a cover model on the, on the cover of Today magazine. But Rachel, the other, on the other hand, the Bible says that she had a good figure, and the writer said a lovely face. In other words, she was hot. If you want to put it in terms, Steve, she was hot. She was something to look at. Now, I don't know an awful lot about Hebrew, so Brian and I got together, and we sit down, and we, we thought about a couple things. Let's just sort of put in our mind what a... What a a little girl by the name of Leah might look like back then. And so we came up with this, with this thought process of, of what she might look like. And this is what we thought as we look, Leah might look like. <laughs> now we did our best to make sure none of you look like this, okay? <laughs> Brian said, listen, man, this, you know how much trouble we can get into? And I said, man, we can get in an awful lot of trouble. That's why you do it and I can blame it on you. <laughs> But if we're looking at this, is probably some type of a picture of what this young lady looked like. She was scary looking. All right? I really don't know. But then we said, okay, listen, if, if, if that's what Leah looked like, what did Rachel maybe look like? And so we came up with the best picture that we could, and this is what we said she looked like. I need a lot of brownie points today. You guys just mark them up, baby. <laughs> the things that we'll do for brownie points. Anyway, so here is Jacob, and he stays there for around a month or so, and he works for his uncle. And Laban finally comes to him. He said, listen, it's not fair that you come here and that you work for me for nothing. So how can I pay you? I mean, listen, I don't have, any, I don't have any, anything specific that I need, but... Um, but I tell you what you do, Laban, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me your daughter, Rachel, if you'll give me your hand in marriage. So here is Jacob saying that after knowing Rachel for, for about a month, he's saying that I want her. I love her. I'm attracted to her. And he says, I want to marry her. I'm attracted. And I'm not knocking looks, guys. Man, looks are important. Looks are very, very important. But if you've not figured this out, looks are not enough to build a marriage on. So if you're here today and you're wanting to get married and you're desiring to get married, let me tell you something, man, looks fade after a period of time. Now, some of us, they just don't fade that much, okay? <laughs> but looks will fade, but it's not enough to build a marriage on. It might attract, but it will not sustain. Are you with me? Will not sustain. So here's Jacob very likely thinking, if I can just marry Rachel, everything will be okay. And what I want to hear today is that marriage is not the goal. Marriage isn't the thing that we're shooting for. Wes, for you guys, it's not the thing that you're shooting for. If I can just get married, everything will be all right. I'm attracted. If I can just have her hand in marriage, that is not 
the goal. And I want to give you three things today that I think I really want you to take a look at because marriage is not the answer. And when you think that it is, number one, if you think that marriage is the answer, you'll have the tendency to compromise. You'll have the tendency to compromise because if marriage is the goal, it's so easy to settle for less than God's best because the pursuit is for a person that you think that you think will satisfy your needs. You need to write that down. It's pretty good. Jacob goes on to, and up to Laban and he says, listen, I'm in love with Rachel and I'll tell you what, if you'll give me her to marry, I'll work for you for seven years. Now in that culture, what would take place, a man when he would ask for a hand in marriage, there would have to be some type of an exchange that took place. Some type of something that would be of value that this young man would present to that family. Something that would be in money or in livestock. But here's Jacob now traveled over to get to where he is. He has nothing. I mean, he has nothing to offer the family. And so he says, listen, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will work for your daughter's hands for seven years. That'll be my gift. That'll be what I do. Because she's very valuable. I had a friend of mine when Abby was born... Um, they had a, a young, young son It was probably two years old, and we used to laugh back and forth. And I, he said, man, I want my, my son to marry your daughter. And I said, baby, listen, you better start getting the camels and the donkeys out now because it's going to cost an awful lot. <laughs> an awful, awful lot. You know, the ladies are going, that is so romantic that he would spend seven years of his life working to acquire her hand in marriage. The men are going, that's the dumbest thing I think I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> But that's what he did. He offers some four times the normal offer. And what Jacob was saying, this is what he was saying, I'll do anything to get her hand. She is what I want. She's what I want, regardless of the price. We say it's ridiculous, but we do the exact same thing today, don't we? I mean, how far will you go to get what you want? How much will you compromise to get those things that you think that you have to have? It's like the young girl that says, I'll save myself for marriage. And then all of a sudden she meets a young man and she says, I want. And then she says, well, maybe. And he says, well, I'm gone. And she says, I will. Compromise. Compromise. It's like the young man that's getting older and all of his friends are married and beginning to have children. And he, and he, and he knows that this girl that he's attracted to isn't a believer. But all of a sudden, there's something inside of him that says, God, I don't trust you with my life, so I'm, I'm just going to try to do it my way. Are you with me? And so they, they get married. God, I don't trust you, so I'm going to take things into my own hands. So when marriage is the goal, it's so easy to compromise. It isn't, never is it. God, what do you desire? Not, not what do you want, but God, what is it do I want and how do I meet the needs that I have? And so all of a sudden when marriage is the goal, we have the tendency to compromise. The second thing, if you're taking notes, is this. When marriage is the answer, you tend to become very demanding. This is fixing to rip some of you guys off what's fixing to be said. After he'd worked for about seven years, look at what he says in verse 21. Finally, the time, the time came for him to marry her. And he said this, I have fulfilled my agreement. Jacob said to Laban, now give me my wife so that I can sleep with her. Now, I don't know how you would approach your future father-in-law, but I don't know if that's really the best way to approach him. Do you think so? That's pretty bold. But Jacob, this is what he's saying. I fulfilled my requirements. I've done what's been expected of me. 
I've done what I said that I would do. Now it's your turn. Now you pay up, big dog. I fulfilled my agreements. I've paid the price. Now give me what I have worked for. Jacob says, listen, I've paid. Now I want the merchandise. That sinks in deep, doesn't it? The sad thing is how many of us treat marriage the exact same way? Think about that. It's 50-50. You do your job and I'll do my job. You fulfill your requirements and I'll fulfill my requirements. You meet my needs and then I'll meet your needs. It's 50-50. And the marriage is based on a contract instead of a covenant of marriage. Till death do part? Uh-uh, uh-uh. It's till you don't do what I don't want you to do or till you don't meet my needs. And all of a sudden, you become very, very demanding. I will love you as long as you do what I want you to do. As long as you, now you put your list in there. Ladies, you have a list, don't you? You've got a list. I will love you as long as you, your mind is running like crazy. As long as you pick up your dirty underwear, as long as you mow the yard, as long as you, and you've got your list. But guys, see, you've got your list too. As long as you perform in the bedroom, as long as you fix my meals, as long as you wash my clothes, every one of us have those lists of expectations that are there. You've got those lists. And as long as your man does what he's supposed to, you're okay. But baby, don't you dare mess up. Spouses, don't you dare mess up. I'll do my part as long as you do your part. If you're married in, in here today, you probably made a statement like this. I, Sidney, take thee meriteth to be my lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do part. You remember that? Yeah. But is that really, really what you meant? Or was it this? I, Sidney, choose you, Meredith, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, as long as you, and then I list out my list of things, and if... You hold up your end of the bargain, then I'll hold up to my end of the bargain. I mean, which one of those did you, did you really mean? Did you really mean until death do part? Or did you really mean until you don't live up to the expectations that I have for you? And we wonder why our marriages struggle. We wonder why we suffer. And we wonder why we're so much in pain. You know, I don't want to hurt your feelings, guys, but marriage isn't 50-50. It's 100-0. It's a hundred, zero. Even if, matter of fact, in the marriage vows that we use an awful lot of times, even if my spouse, even if my future mate doesn't respond faithfully, I choose to respond faithfully. Think about that. Let that settle in. Every one of us has probably been at that place sometime in your relationship. At that place where you're going, my needs are not being met. And if you've not vocalized it, you've internalized it and you've thought it. Some of you have probably even thought that this morning before we even got here. I don't think that you're being honest if you say you never have. As a matter of fact, I know you're not being honest. The only thing I've found out in 22 years of marriage is I don't have the answers. I don't have all the answers. I can tell you all the things you're not supposed to do. And I still struggle with that. It's everything I can just to keep myself in line. 
But you know what, guys? It happens in the best of marriages. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you are. I don't care what position that you hold. It happens in the best of marriages. See, Tom and Sandy are just not fix-it Tom and Sandy. Tom and Sandy are here to help, to encourage us, because every one of our marriages need tune-ups from time to time. Every one of our marriages need a time of healing or a time of encouragement. And they're here and they say, man, listen, we want you to know at Heritage, marriages are valued regardless. Regardless. And the trust relationship when we walk through these difficult times, the trust relationship that we say that we have with the, with the Lord Jesus Christ is put to the test. And it is no better put to the test than in our marriage relationship. You say you have a marriage, you say you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is demonstrated in the relationship that we have with our spouse. When the expectations aren't being met, you have to make a choice. How will I respond? Because when things aren't going our way, it just gives us an opportunity to demonstrate the faith that we say that we have. Listen, Sunday morning is not enough to sustain you. It is not enough to sustain us. It must play out in the weekday, in the daily activities that go on within our lives, guys. It's not about, what did Steve say, trying more, but it's learning to trust more. Because before we can ever give unconditional love, we must first experience unconditional love. Just like what was the story that was told about the little child with poop and the father just embraced him. There's no way that we can share that unless we first have experienced it. The third thing that I think about is this. When you think that marriage is the answer, when you think that marriage is the goal, you'll always end up dissatisfied. Always. There are no exceptions to this. You'll always end up dissatisfied. Here's Jacob. He was thinking, I've got to marry this girl. She's beautiful. Um, so he works for seven years and now he's ready to get married. But Uncle Laban, but now Uncle Laban, there, there is an, he has an issue now. Because now he's got an older daughter, Leah, that has not been married. And by their culture, the older daughter had to be married first. And look at what it says in verse 22. So Laban invited everyone to the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that night when it was dark, Laban took Leah and Jacob and he slept with her. Laban had given Leah a servant, Zilpah, to be her maid. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, he goes, It's Leah! It's Leah! What in the world have you done? And he raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? The Jewish historian Josephus said there were two things that Jacob had going against him. Number one, he was drunk. And number two, it was dark. <laughs> what are you kind of a wedding feast do you think they were throwing? It was a mishta is what they called it. And it was a, a, a feast of drinking where they would gather. And I don't understand really all the details. Laban may never even have thought that when Jacob made that initial agreement that he may have never even thought about Leah. But all, all of a sudden now they're seven years down the line and culture says, tradition says it's got to happen this way. So he's sort of caught. What does he do? So here he is with a situation. But he felt obligated to make sure that Leah was taken care of. So in the middle of the night he makes the switch. He makes the turn and and he may have justified that move by saying, listen, I'm going to throw in a servant just to make sure that it's okay. But it wasn't okay. But here's Jacob thinking, oh my goodness gracious, what in the world is taking place? And listen, you know what happens? Listen to this. 
This can happen to any one of us when we think that somebody else can meet our needs because we end up going to bed with Rachel and we wake up with Leah. Do you think about that? It's so easy for that to happen to us. We end up going to bed with Rachel and we wake up with Aaliyah because marriage is not meant to intend to have your needs met, but maybe, just maybe, it's an opportunity for you to be able to meet the needs of your spouse. Marriage wasn't designed for what I can get out of it, but it was designed for what do I give to it. As a matter of fact, there are two, two specific reasons that the Bible teaches us that God designed marriage. One, for procreation. The second, for illustration. Procreation, having children, having babies. We're not talking about all this sex. We're talking about babies, creating babies. The Bible says be fruitful and multiply to have children. Why? So that we can raise godly offspring godly offspring, that our, we, would, we would pass our relationship with God down to our children and they would be brought up in the ways of the Lord. Why do you think Deuteronomy and, and the passages of Scripture early on in the Torah there list so much about the family structure and about raising children? It is not the church's responsibility to raise your children in faith. If you're here because you want to have your children in a place that's going to raise your children in faith, you're in the wrong place. This is not a programming place. This is an environment that, that wants to create spiritual maturity. We want to encourage you guys as parents to pick that ball up and to take on that responsibility, but it is not the church's immediate responsibility. And what's happened over the years is where we are is that we've made the church the drop-all. It's the place you go drop your kids off so they can train them in faith. And then you go home and you do nothing. That is not the way God designed the church. It's not that way dissatisfied. Marriage is not meant to have our needs met, but maybe an opportunity for us to be able to meet the needs of those. Procreation, having children, illustration. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul taught us that God designed marriage for us to be a living example of Christ's relationship with the church, that our relationship with one another in the marriage should illustrate Christ's sacrificial love for the church. And you can go to Ephesians chapter 5 and you can read that. But here we've been talking so much about Rachel and we've been talking about Jacob. But here is Leah. Listen, here is Leah. Don't you think she, she's probably, this is going on in her mind. If I can just get married, if I can just give myself to this man, and if I do everything that he wants me to do, if I live up to every expectation, maybe, just maybe he'll see that there's more to me than what meets the eye. Maybe, just maybe, there's, the, you'll see there's more to me than my lack of looks. And she goes along with her dad's plan and she willingly decides uh, to deceive Jacob. And she sleeps with a man that she knew did not want her. She sleeps with a man that she knew didn't love her. And maybe she's thinking, if I just do things his way, maybe he'll love me. Look what happens in verse 31 and 32. When the Lord saw it, says that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children. But Rachel could not conceive, verse 32, so Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, the Lord has noticed my misery and how my husband, now my, my husband will love me. In other words, if I please him, if I do the things that he wants for me to do, maybe things will work out. Maybe, just maybe, he will love me and our marriage will succeed. If I bring home enough money, maybe she'll stay. 
If I perform in the bedroom, just maybe she'll stay. If I lose weight, maybe then he'll be more attractive for me. If I buy her more things, maybe she'll love me more. But we'll find out he never did. Must have been an empty person. And the unique thing that I find about this passage is nowhere in here do I find evidence of God at work from a perspective that they were seeking God or there was faith. It wasn't what it was about. It was all about what I can get out of the relationship. Maybe you've heard this statement, I'm looking for Mr. Right. I'm looking for Miss Right. And when I find her, when I find him, I'm going to be happy. So we go along, especially as teenagers, we're looking for Miss Right or Mr. Right. And we fill out this, this list of expectations that we have. And we're looking. Sometimes we might put on their relationship with the Lord. Sometimes we may not put on their relationship with the Lord. But I promise you this, the older you get, you'll understand the importance of what a relationship with the Lord does when it's on that list. It's so important for it to be in the midst of that list. But here they are looking for Mr. Wright. Here I was looking for, for Miss Wright when I was in that dating process, and I wasn't even being Mr. Wright. Are you with me? So many times we're expecting something from the spouse that we are in ourselves willing to give. We're out here looking for the one that will meet our needs, and we're not even concerned about meeting the needs of the one that we're looking for. It's a difficult, difficult time. To have the kind of marriage that God wants us to have, it isn't about meeting Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, but it's about being Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. And that all begins with our trust relationship with an almighty God. It's not about trying more, but it's about trusting more. Because there's no way that you can express unconditional love until you first experienced unconditional love. There's a whole lot more to this story, and I'm just going to skip over it for, for story's sake. But what ends up happening, there's, he ends up marrying Rachel. He gives another seven years of service of his life working for her. And I just encourage you guys to go back. But what I want to end up was this right here. I want to focus on Leah just for the, for the last minute or so. To catch you up, this is where it's at. She has three, three more sons. She has, she has Reuben, Simon, Levi. And just about the time, she's thinking, every one of these children, just maybe he'll love me. Just maybe he'll love me. Just maybe he'll love me. And then she ends up having a fourth child. And look at verse 35. The Bible says this, Once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. And she named him Judah. And this is the first time we find where there's something about a relationship with the Lord. And look at what she goes on to say. Now I will praise the Lord. And she stopped having children. It was almost as if to say, I've come to realize, I've come to realize that nothing that I'm going to do is going to please him. Nothing that I am going to do is going to gain his affection. So God, I'm going to look to you. I'm going to look to you. And now, Lord, I will praise you because you will be my source of strength. You will be my source of encouragement. You will be my source. And it would be from Leah who would end up eventually being the mother of Judah through which the Savior of our world, world would be born. Because it would be out of that root that Jesus Christ would be born. And here it is, God taking something that didn't start off right. God takes something that, that, that didn't, didn't begin the right way and he does something that is awesome. So regardless if you're here and your relationship didn't begin off the right way, so regardless if you're here and, and, uh, and, and things just didn't get off on the right foot, this is what I hear. When you seek the Lord, He 
does that which seems impossible, even though it doesn't maybe look or feel or you think that way. When you turn to the Lord and you seek him for understanding and you seek him for leadership and you say, God, I'm going to trust you now. I'm putting it all in your hands. It's amazing what God can do. He does the impossible. And there are those of you that are sitting here today that are going, but you just don't understand where I am. You just don't know where we are as a couple. You just don't understand how far things have gone. And our relationship is shot. There's no bringing it back to life. It's just time to call it quits. Watch this video.
And from that point on, my anger was um, in a totally different perspective. He was changing. And I didn't like that because everyone either knew or suspected that they knew what I was doing. And he was becoming this great guy. And no one really knew the ins and outs of why I left. We would fight, and I would push all the same buttons. And he did not respond the way that I was used to him responding. I mean, you have to understand, my life was radically transformed. I remember being very drawn to the man that he was becoming, but now the relationship was dead. I decided I was going to go to counseling. Two or three sessions, it would be done. That way I can say that I tried and it just didn't work. And so I was going to pursue a divorce. I vented everything to him about why there was just no way that we were going to make it. And he just listened. And then he looked at me in the eye very intently and said, Do you believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead? And I said, Yes, I believe that. He said, You think that God can take a dead man and raise him to life to save you, but you don't think he can heal your marriage. And so, I told God this much. It takes uh, 100% dependency on Christ in, in the moment, in the now. And it looks like constant confession and repentance for me. A light that had been shut off came on, and I wondered, what if God could do it? There are some of you that are here this morning and you come in the door thinking there was no hope that all things were impossible. See, that's the awesomeness about serving God and trusting Him. It's because with Him there is hope. Shake your heads if you agree with me. Sometimes it's just we, we've got to be the right person instead of expecting our spouse to be the right person. It's us standing up and being Mr. Right or being Mrs. Right and submitting to the Father. Do we have any perfect marriages that are in here today? Anybody without any struggles? So it would be very appropriate for me to ask this question then this morning. How many of you that are married or here today would make a comment like this? You would say, I want to be Mr. Right. I want to be Mrs. Right. I want to be obedient to the Father. I want to be submissive in my relationship and I desire to have a godly relationship. If you're married here today or if you're unmarried but one day you desire to be married, if that's you, would you raise your hand? I want to ask you to do this. I'd like to ask you to, uh, if you're married and you're here this morning, I'd like to ask you to turn to your spouse and say, if you're a female, I desire to be Mrs. Wright and to seek God. If you're a man, to say, I desire to be Mr. Right and to seek God. Would you do that? Just quietly. And it ends like this. That means, spouses, that you're second.
Did you hear me? That means spouses that you're second. You're not first. Because if that's what you desire, the number one relationship that you should desire and that you should seek is with your Father, your Heavenly Father. The Bible says to love the Lord God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength. And it says to seek first the kingdom of God. Our first responsibility isn't to your spouse. Your first responsibility is to Father. And if you're submissive to Him, you'll be amazed at how your relationship will change. That's our responsibility. Would you pray with me today? Father, as we, as we deal with this subject over the next several weeks, this is going to be heart-rendering for a lot of us because, God, we know that you're at work in so many marriages that are struggling. And even if there are good marriages, Father, our marriages can be better. Father, I know marriages are strained all around us, strained very deeply. And even for many, there is a feeling of no hope. But God, this isn't about saving a marriage, but it's living a life that's pleasing to you. And so, Holy Spirit, this is what I ask this morning. Would you heal our hearts? And for those that are here that are not married, that, are, that desire to be God, I, I just ask that over these next several weeks that we'd be able to provide for them some tools that would help them build and, uh, and have the right foundation for marriage. That they wouldn't look at marriage as the goal. But, Father, they would see it as an opportunity to procreate and to provide godly children and also to illustrate for our relationship, to illustrate God's relationship uh, with the church. God, I pray that we would make you first in every area of our lives, that it wouldn't just be more about looking for the right person, but it would be becoming the right person. And, God, as we've said, that only happens when we find ourselves in submission to you. So, Father, I thank you. This is going to be an interesting ride over the next several weeks. And we just ask that you'd help us as we dig up some dirt and as we move some things around. I pray that you'd make us just a very authentic community, Lord, as we work through this time. And I'm just so thankful, Lord, that this isn't a place that we live in glass houses, but we understand that, Father, relationships are tough. And sometimes we have to make adjustments. But, Lord, it's not about trying more. It's just about trusting you more. Thank you, Father, for what you do. I'm excited over these next few weeks about what you're going to do in the lives of us as individuals as well as our families and our marriages. In Jesus' name, amen.